Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners from around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash, back in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend Liz Feltron in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Still in Jerusalem. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. Um, I, I really have a couple of things that I want to just kind of proposed today for us to talk about. One, we're now at the conclusion of really weeks of holidays from Pesach to uh, Yom HaShoah, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaSma'ut. And the country of Israel kind of came to a, a pause, as we learned, or a standstill that is now resuming. Um, Saturday night was another week of protests. So it's the 18th week of protesting the coalition's effort to change the judicial system in Israel. Uh, I don't know the exact number, but I believe that it was close to the 100, 150 to 200,000 people that have showed up around the country. Uh, not sure if you had the ability to go to the protest or rally in Jerusalem, but we're still seeing that energy going towards the uh, gathering uh, of people to, to demonstrate against the judicial reform. And, but we're also seeing a rise of people participating in pro-judicial reform rallies. So I'm, I'm going to just ask you, what, what, what's what been your experience and exposure to these uh, demonstrations or rallies? So the, you know, the sentiments that created this phenomenon of uh, protests is still very much in the air and around. And I think that that makes sense, given that when the protest started 18 weeks ago and and growing more and more since then, I think the Israelis who have been a part of that protest movement had and have a very real concern and um, and feeling that the issue that's being debated is one that has the potential to change, you know, the character of the state of Israel. This isn't a small issue, and it isn't even a a narrow issue, but it is one that has the potential to really change the the character of the country for generations to come. And so, um. You know, for the same reasons that people started out wanting to protest 18 weeks ago, they are still protesting today. And the uh, pro-reform movement has sort of grown up alongside it, was, you know, was slower to start, which kind of makes sense, right? When do people feel the need to protest in favor of what a sitting government is doing, right? If you agree with what the government's doing, you don't usually feel the need to protest. Um, but, you know, Israelis do have the strong character of wanting to say what they think. We have all of the jokes about Jews in general, right? You have two Jews and therefore three opinions. Um, so, you know, that that movement of pro-reform did sort of grow up alongside. Um, 
And right now, the two are still making their voices heard. We'll see now that the government is having all sorts of other things going on and more issues that it needs to deal with, in addition to figuring out what really will get passed with the judicial reform, um, you know, how that changes the protest. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there are still many things on the horizon for the government to deal with. And I understand that the budget needs to be approved by the end of May. And there's a question whether or not that's going to happen. I want to go back to something you just said a second ago. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you talked about the character of the country. What do you mean by that? So I think that um, while Israel lacks a, a formal constitution, there have been both written and unwritten norms of how, you know, uh, governments were formed and how uh, some form of balance was struck between the different branches of the government and where you know, and especially in a country where we have so much turnover and such quick turnover of governments, right? The the average of a length of a government, I think in Israel has something like 18 months over the course of Israel's history, right? Which is wild to think about when, um, uh, you know, it could be four years, right? If people were that were elected serve their full um, you know, intended period of time, the average would be four years, but something happens every 18 months on average and governments get dissolved or overthrown or, you know, ousted. And then we have a new one. So in a country, particularly where you have that much change, um, how the whole system works in terms of balance is even more important because if, you know, one change in one branch can have sweeping changes across the whole system, you'd have, you know, I don't know, a whiplash from from all the changes going on in the country. We need something to be stable in the system. And and Israel has had that. The currently proposed changes of judicial reform would would change that balance. And I think are very clearly intended to give more power to to the government, right? For the Knesset to have fewer checks and fewer balances uh, and be able to make more decisions in a unilateral way. And I, I think we can see that that would change Israel very much. Uh, regardless of who was in power, I'm not sure that we want the government to be able to make you know, any decisions at once without, you know, without any checks. Alan, you're muted. Oh, so sorry about that. I thought I depressed the mute button because <laughs> um, there was a plane going overhead. I didn't need you to hear that. Uh, but what I what I have been following with the judicial reform is more of a of an absence of direction around minority rights and the fact that Israel, when it was founded, had a clear understanding that it was a country that was respectful of all religions. 
I mean, Israel is a country full of different ideas, but it's primarily a Jewish country, a country on Jewish values with respecting of other religions. If I'm interpreting part of the judicial reform issue is around limiting the rights of other minorities. Am I off base there? Are you seeing the same thing? Well, there's two different sort of layers of the judicial reform, right? There's what would it mean to have these reforms made to the judiciary period, right? Sort of in general, what would the system look like with these changes to how how checks and balances are or not enforced? But then the second layer is, well, what will happen with the current constellation of a government once, you know, these judicial reforms are passed, should they be passed? Um, and and the two are separate, right? Because of the government that we have right now, if these judicial reforms happen, then yes, I think we can expect to see that um, there will be less concern for all sorts of minorities and much more concern for one particular minority, which is the ultra-Orthodox community. Um, Right, because they are such a large part of the sitting government and they are a community who feels that they have been sidelined in some ways, both, you know, socially, culturally, because the court has been more secular minded, more, I would say, open minded. Um, And they're also a community because they are growing uh, demographically in leaps and bounds and a community that has pretty high levels of poverty that, you know, they're going to want to push for seeing much more funding coming into their community. But those are the specific outcomes that, right, would be likely to happen with the current government if the judicial reforms are made. But the judicial reforms don't necessarily right, mean that kind of change. That's a product of the government that we have right now. So that ties in then to the need to pass the budget at the end of the month, if you're talking about the economics of the country. Um, I'm going to pose a couple of questions to you. I'm not sure it's fair of me to do this. Um, I, I read the other day that there's going to be an increase on milk or dairy prices sig- significant. Am I muted again? No, no. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Um, uh, so an increase of taxes on um, dairy products. Uh, we also know that in previous podcasts, we've talked about the significance of the budget being passed. So I'm tying some economics to the situation here that the, the current state of affairs is in Israel is so in flux that by instituting a increase of taxes on dairy products kind of reminds me of a previous demonstration in Israel, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, called the cottage cheese protests. You probably don't know about that. You probably weren't living in Israel then. But again, it's when the prices of things um, get to a point where people come out and, and protest against the country. So are you seeing any of that uh, with the rise of dairy uh, prices? I am. So first of all, I was living in Israel 15 years ago, just 
just to make that clear. I, I didn't I didn't mean to, you know, make a caveat. I just I wasn't quite sure where where you were in I mean, Yes, I was here. And there have been several different rounds of sort of um, you know, ec- basic economic and 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 everyday consumer goods uh you know, price-related protests. That's happened a bunch of times in Israel. I am, and I think you and I have talked about it, actually, is that sort of the typical thing that gets Israelis out into the streets, right? Raise the price of milk, you raise the price of pitot, and, you know, you better watch out. Um, Look, now the increase of prices, I don't think is specific to Israel, right? We're seeing all sorts of economic changes and inflation in many, many parts of the world. Um, And I think that Israelis will understand that. So I'm not sure um, how quick people will be to protest about the price of dairy products going up, um, because really the price of everything seems to be going up. Right, but there's a there's a tendency in Israel for people to go out into the streets and protest the government when there are price increases. I'm I'm going to just you know equate what you just said that it, prices are going up around the world. You know, egg prices in America have skyrocketed, uh, but I don't see people going to the streets and protesting about eggs in America. Um. Yeah. Look, in America, you have a different culture. You have people that maybe notice that the price of eggs have gone up, but certainly it doesn't impact their ability to purchase eggs. If they want eggs, they're still going to buy eggs. And you have people for whom maybe that increase is um, prohibitive, but those are the same people that are working to keep you know food on the table and don't really have the time or means necessarily to protest. I mean, the, the, cult, the culture of protests in the United States is very different. Um here very, very true. Yeah. Very true. Right. It's sort of in the States, it's kind of it's kind of a privilege, right? You have to have the time to be able to take off work to go to the place where the protest is happening and be part of it. And in Israel, somehow, I don't know if it's just because the country's smaller or because uh employers, you know, are somewhat more um uh, encouraging of people to protest. I don't know what it what it is, but it doesn't have the same feel here that a person has to decide between, you know, getting their full wages or taking the time off to protest. I guess because we have the protests on Saturday nights, for example, these eight, you know, past 18 weeks. I, I don't know what it is, but somehow the model allows for everyone to get out and protest, regardless of whether they're people for whom, you know, taking any time off would be financially problematic. I am. But the other thing that I want to say about this topic is that I am, you know, you tied together the economic changes and passing the national budget. And I just wanted to think together, you know, the last time that we were talking about passing a national budget was with the previous government. Right. And we really felt like that whether that government could pass a budget was going to be symbolic for whether the government would stay together at all. Um, And I think that that is 
still the case now, although I would say at the with the previous government, it felt like the pressures were more external, right? All of the people who were voting against that government, who didn't think that they should exist, that didn't think that they represented the country. Um, whereas now, I think maybe the the onus of the pressure is internal to the government, right? Whether amongst themselves, Likud and all of the parties that are have formed a coalition together can amongst themselves agree enough to form a budget or whether their internal disagreements will will make that impossible. So the budget issue, and again, I agree with you, we talked quite a bit about the budget with the previous coalition and it was a, it was a, um, an example of the strength of the coalition to be able to pass the budget because the budget hadn't been passed in three or four years prior right. to that because of the dysfunction of the the Knesset. I, I think that it'll be important to kind of see, and I agree with you, it's more of an internal struggle than an external struggle because the opposition doesn't have as much power over the budget as the in, as the coalition does. And part of what Prime Minister Netanyahu did by building his coalition, he gave different parties influence over the issues at hand. And one of those issues is the budget. So to your point, we will see what happens uh, by the end of the uh, end of the month. But also you made an allusion or comment that there could be extensions to the budget. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Yes, while I am not a, an expert on all of Israel's, you know, um, intricacies of the law surrounding the passing of budgets, my my hunch from just having seen how things play out in the past, right? Um, and we had that most recently, I guess, with forming this government at all, right? There kept being extensions and extensions and extensions. I think that that something like that probably exists for passing the budget as well. So even if they do not hit the first deadline of the end of May, I'm sure whether it's the president or some other entity has the, you know, option to give them another 14 days or another 14 days or whatever. So I don't think, you know, come May 30th we're going to immediately see something happen even if a budget is not passed. But we'll see. So let's move on to some of the other things we like to talk about, which is cultural and current events. Uh, this past weekend, uh, the the UK um, anointed a new king, King Charles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand that uh, pre- the President Herzog was there, and there was a, a Jewish connection to the ceremony that they used olive oil from the Mount of Olives to anoint the king. I don't know if that got played out in Israel or not. Didn't get played out so much in in America either, but it was uh, part of the headlines that I saw. And then the other thing, culture-wise, is the kickoff of Eurovision this week. Is that getting played much in Israel, the kickoff of uh, Eurovision and Israel's participant? um, Noah Kirill. Thank you. (laughs) I can only remember the song she's singing, which is called Unicorn. Right. So... Yes, I would say both of those topics, both the coronation and the Eurovision, while I guess very different types of cultural events, um, are of interest to sort of the Israeli populace in general. 
Um, you know, so people definitely are paying attention to to both of those. Um, and we'll see. I hope that Israel is well represented in the Eurovision. It is always exciting here when when Israel places high up there, and we have a pretty strong record of you know, beyond the size of our country of doing well in the Eurovision. So it will be nice if we can do that again. And in other cultural matters, we also have a Lagba Omer this week. So there will be many a bonfire going around all over the country. I, I just got an invitation to a, a bonfire here in uh, Palm Springs um, for Lagba Omer. I forgot next week. Uh, Tuesday is Lagba Omer. Um, so I, are you uh, participating in a, a Kumsitz uh, for Lagba Omer? I, uh, we are not big fans of Lagba Omer. It just seems like too much fire, too much smoke. Kind of want to close the windows and hope for the best. I, um, yeah, that's one holiday where I do not mind sitting it out. <laughs> uh, and another thing, I remember when I was in Israel last week, I saw posters for Guns and Roses, I think, performing sometime soon in Israel. So again, summertime is uh, festival and music time. I hope that you'll be able to report to us in the future some upcoming great festivals that you seem to um, monitor and sample some of the uh, unique natures of the food or the content. So put that on your agenda. I will keep my eye out for them. And then you also mentioned to me last week that in coincidence of honoring Israel's 75th uh, birthday, we had celebrated 75 episodes of Israel Rebound. Mm-hmm. How did we time that so well? And it's the magic of the calendar. I don't know. I thought that was pretty incredible. I did not notice that. You did. So I want to thank you for highlighting that. It's, I can't believe that we've uh, done 75 editions of our podcast. And we we still continue to get listeners from all over the world. And I have a new listener right now. It's a bird that is chirping over my my window. I do here. hear a little bit of chirping in the background there. So my and our and our and my pet Brucie is still at the door listening in. So we have at least two listeners we know of. A <laughs> He's bird a faithful and a dog. But quiet listener. Uh, so, Liz, I just want to thank you again for your time and your wisdom with uh, our podcast today. Anything you want to add? Thank you, Alan, as well. And uh, I hope you and your menagerie that you're growing there in the desert can have a very good week. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing listeners from around the world to events and issues uh, coming out of Jerusalem. Thank you all for listening.